All right, joining us now is David Locke, and David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David Locke, good morning. How the heck are you? Good. I'm good, Patrick Kinahan. How are you? Doing well, man. Excited to have a job. Excited to be able to talk sports. It's really a fantasy and a dream come true for me, and I'm sure I know you're in that same position with the gig that you've had. We've talked about it for many, many times over the years, and Feeling grateful in this time of year to to extend gratitude. As far there you as go, I like it. Uh oh, don't there lose you your edge, PK. <laughs> I think you know my edge actually has has slipped, but for, in, in in a good way. But I can still get it back when I need to get it back. Actually, like if you think about it, if you still during COVID have your edge, you're really a colossal. You know what? <laughs> and like if you think about it like from talk radio where we go on the air and we act you know like in our realm like the fact that the coach you know on third and seven ran a draw is this like monumental you always have to kind of when you're doing this job you always kind of have to dismiss what you're talking about and just pretend you know because like it, it all ridiculous when someone says, well, my mom has cancer. Well, yeah, of course, then it really doesn't matter if they were to draw on third and seven, but you have to avoid that. Like, if, if you're a sports talk show host and you can still, in this midst of the world, step, like, come on and act like you're beside yourself because Kyle Whittingham's play calling was wrong and cost them the Washington game, I, I love you. I admire your ability to compartmentalize at a fabulous level because I have not been able to do that yet. Yeah, I do think that if you – and I've, I've always felt like I've had that perspective about where sports uh, plays, what role it plays. And for me, it's entertainment. I've always viewed it as going to a movie. And I want to sit down and I want to be entertained. And the, the, the way it ends, uh, whatever that particular storyline is, doesn't really concern me as much as long as I'm entertained and along the way. But I do realize for a lot of folks – it does matter, and I appreciate their passion and their commitment because they supply us with work. So I don't take that lightly because I know for folks that who are the traditional, I'm a fan, but not in the traditional sense, that it really matters to them. And we see that. We see that with all the sports, and we see that with all the uh, the stuff that's being done with the, with the Jazz and, and our teams locally here. And the Jazz, their success really matters. It's fun. Yep. But it's more fun, and it matters a whole lot, which is a good thing, uh, because uh, it provides entertainment. So you know you don't want to go over the top and start screaming at players inappropriately and whatnot. And we've had that from time to time. That's unacceptable. But as far as the jazz, it, it's really fun to work in this community where it matters. You know, that's what I said yeah. about Vegas for many years. It didn't matter. Now, that's changing with the professionals that they're getting there, and stuff matters. But for us, it's been a great market because it does matter, and the Jazz do matter. We follow them, and their success matters to a lot of folks. So it's very, very important. I wanted to get your impressions. They've been doing these Zoom interviews in lieu of a traditional media day. It's, you know, they had Coach Quinn Snyder, and they've had most of the players, not all of them. They've had certainly the nucleus of the players that they're going to be counting on to have success this season. Did you draw anything away from what anybody has said during the course of these interviews? I thought their optimism was high. 
I thought it was interesting. I mean, they really they they believe that think in their heart of hearts they think they should have beat Denver, and so then they think they should have beat the Clippers. So I think they, I think you can kind of feel that they think that they, you know, are knocking on the door, uh, maybe more than a lot of the national experts are. Though Kevin Pelton's projections on the Jazz, which is numerically based, was pretty good. Um, so I, I took that away. Um, the other one I thought not, maybe I made this up in my head, but. You know, there was a camaraderie in that Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder group that probably driven by Ricky was unique um, and, and driven by Faves, frankly. And so when you lost Crowder, Rubio, and Faves, it never felt to me last year like there was that same collectiveness. Now, some of that's marketing, right? I'm a victim. You know, we did an incredible job as the jazz organization marketing that all for, you know, the team is, not, you know, the team is whatever the team, whatever that slogan was. And maybe, you know, that I got caught up in that a little bit. But that was my feeling last year is that maybe it wasn't as collective. And, and the, frankly, the other thing is that I wasn't with them at the end, and sometimes the end is how you can tell how collective it is because of how they react when it's over, that you can kind of tell, like, oh, wow, they really don't want to leave each other. or You know, and I didn't have that. So there, there's a lot of things that can be skewing my, my, my feeling on that. But just to get back to it, my point was that if you listen to all them, their collectiveness last year was really good. Um and so I, I was a little surprised by that because I had left with the impression it was just a team. It didn't have that special element to it. But if you listen to them, like Boyan Bogdanovich talking about how it's like the closest group he's ever been with um, and the stories of Derek Gardino putting Boyan's um, uh, on the elevator door so that every time the elevator door opened in um, in Orlando, there was a picture of Boyan, and I didn't know Boyan was part of the Zooms the whole time. So there was a lot of aspects to that. And then, you know, you hear the text messaging back and forth. And I did know that Jordan brought them together uniquely, and Jordan was clearly moved. But, so that's those are my two takeaways, that they're really optimistic, and I think they were more collective last year. And maybe that actually happened in the bubble, because uh, to be perfectly honest, in, in March it did not feel that way. There, there, there was felt like there was a lot of stuff percolating and that the group was not particularly cohesive. But I could be I could have been way wrong. Well, we knew the Gobert and Mitchell thing was out there, and maybe that's what the situation was. But you look at it individually. Uh, it, as long as the goal individually is to win a title and not to get mine, but to win a title, isn't that good enough? Even if you're not the best buddies in the world, if the goal on the floor, everything is working towards that, can't that have that sort of inherently because you all have the same goal? Yeah, but I'll tell you what. There's something different this year. George Niang shared in one of those Zooms that Joe Ingles like, basically gave an impassioned speech to the group of, like, follow the protocols. I don't want, like, I can't bring COVID home. I got a baby and a wife and an autistic kid. And there's a real trust factor this year. You better believe your teammate's not a knucklehead. Yeah, that's interesting, which is something that hasn't been involved in this situation. And we've seen it in the NFL. Uh, I think we saw a little bit in MLB early on, but then I think they got it together because they saw the seriousness of it, and then there wasn't as big of an issue going forward. In the NFL, there's been stuff where you're not following the protocols. Uh, here, uh, it's, a small, it's a much smaller group, but there's going to be more travel. Uh, so uh, 
I have a concern about that. But and if Ingles puts it on a personal level, anytime you put stuff on a personal level, and that's the thing about with all the social stuff that Donovan Mitchell has been doing and whatnot and throughout the league and, and really throughout the country. If you bring it at a personal level, I always thought that that was easier for me to understand. If I had someone who is of a different race who is my friend and tells me, hey, this, this, and this, that really brings it home to me because it's a one-on-one situation. It's not somebody out there that I don't know. And Joe doing right. that, it's basically a one-on-one situation and it makes it real. Yeah, you know, it's an you know, if your teammate was a knucklehead and was out at the bars late at night and was there till three o'clock in the morning and doing stuff that you didn't think was smart, but he dropped twenty and seven, you know, and, and rotated on defense, you just didn't care, right? Like he's partying. You know, do you think that the Seattle SuperSonics cared when like cared when like Gary Payton had like some of his like illustrious evenings out in a playoff series and dropped thirty eight the next night? No, they just didn't care at all. But we're in a. This is different. Like, so I think that's fascinating. By the way, you mentioned Donovan. I thought Donovan's answer about his role socially and how he wants to be remembered and what he wants when he has kids for his kids to know he did and that at the end of the day he'll still be a black man. I thought that was pretty poignant. That's, that was the most poignant quote of this whole thing when he was talking about his extension and uh, in that Zoom call. When, but I, I thought, you know, he's always on point. He's so... He's so bright with this. I've always joked with him, PK, that he takes such a pay cut for being in the NBA because he has the intelligence and the persona to be the CEO of like Morgan Stanley or, or Goldman Sachs. He's just a special, special kid, and he had all the connections through high school. And, um, you know, he's, he's taking a pay cut to be in the league. That pay cut got to be a little less now. but um, <laughs> So, you know, he actually might be making as much money as a Goldman Sachs CEO for a little while. Now, DJ and I have been talking about this. We're talking to David Locke, obviously, about his ability to be all NBA. And as I look around the league, not necessarily the, the five best players, because the all NBA, as I understand it, tries to create a, a, like a team, you know, and just doesn't have four big men or whatever, that they have right. somewhat of a, of a team semblance to it. And as I look at it, I really don't see any reason why he can't be first team all nba um well he's got to get better than dame i know right? i understand that you know um just uh i mean i think he could i've always said this i thought i've always thought he could average 30 I've, I've said that about him from the beginning i've always thought the comp on him um only because it was said to me by other people is more iverson than anyone else we've talked about just a bona fide hellacious scorer and, you know, he's not going to shoot 51% on threes, and he's not going to probably shoot 51% off the bounce on threes. But the fact that he was getting seven or eight of those off against Denver, now Denver is unique because of Jokic and, and what they allow. Um, but he, 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 could, he could be an offensive force equivalent to Dame pretty, you know, in time. Like, remember, Dame's got five years in the league right, on him. Right, right. Um, but if you map the two guys are scoring 30 other than Harden, that are similar to him are Bradley Beal and and Dame Lillard and his. If you go look at their career paths, they're very similar. Um, the one thing I'm going to keep talking about because, I mean, and I might be you know I'm the only one talking about. It, so usually then you probably should check yourself. Everybody wants Donovan to be a point guard, and that's fine. He can be our primary ball handler, and he's off the pick and roll. He's great, but he is one of the great catch and shoot guys in the NBA. 
the amount of guys that over three years in a row have shot over 40% on catch-and-shoot threes was at to a game is not very many, and he's one of them. And so I'm much more – I understand that his volume of shooting is going to happen when he gets some off-the-bounce opportunities on the high pick-and-roll and they go under and he's able to rise up or start taking the deep three, certainly strong enough to do it. But I want to see more catch-and-shoot action, Clay Thompson-type action for him. Um, he's not six seven. He's not Duncan Robinson. He can't, but he's really special. He's got great lift on his jump shot. He squares his shoulders every time. He's so dang strong that he can get into that shot quickly. And he's real. So it can be your building place for him, and it can be Mike Conley and Joe Ingles creating for him. Um, hard for people to leave him, but I I, I want to see that number go up too. I, I I hope we don't see it go down. That's what happened to Joe last year's. Joe's one is even better than Donovan. He's like the fifth best catch and shoot guy in the NBA over the last three years, and his catch and shoot numbers keep dropping year after year after year because he plays with the ball in his hands so much. We've got to get back to early opportunities. Give these, and maybe it is in transition and getting out and running, and that you're getting Donovan quickly on the three, and you're getting Joe. Joe's got to run to be there quickly. Um, I was hoping in the bubble that Joe would take the Boyan role because Boyan used the most transition possessions of anyone in our team last year, and Joe didn't do it. So, you know, it, it's on the player. they got to run, and the team's got to get the ball out. But I, I'm hoping we can get back to some of that for both Joe and Donovan because they're elite at that. What do you forecast as the second unit being? Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang. Favors? Derek Favors. Well, what do you think of that then? Yeah, that's that's my yeah. That, right. That I mean, was... it's basically. I mean, it's basically four starters, right? Clarkson's Clarkson's basically a starter. Conley's a starter. Ingles is, may not start this year. He's basically. I mean, so my my assumption on the starting lineup, but I I think I might be wrong on this, is uh, Conley, Donovan, Royce, Derek, and Rudy. But maybe Derek's not starting, and then you're. Wait a sec. What about Bogey? Oh yeah, so I got a Bogey in there. So then I, so then maybe it's Bogey and the Don and Derek's not favorite. But for Derek, I still like the math is that Derek has to play with Rudy some. And Dennis was very open that he believes it works. I mean, he very he he talked about all the numbers and the plus minus of how Derek, you know, how Derek and Rudy have proven that they work together. So it's and how much we missed it, how much we needed that lineup last year. So. That, to me, seems to be a lineup that they plan to be using, and if Derek plans to play 20 to 24 minutes, he has to, because I certainly hope we're not dropping Rudy's minutes, because Rudy is awesome. Uh, let's never forget, Rudy is awesome. Um, and, you know, it's so funny, when you do all these projections, by the way, and, you know, I do think, you know, you look at Denver, and they're going to be just good because they have Jokic, and, like, we're going to be good just because we have Rudy. Like, we're just automatically good because we have Rudy. Like, it's incredible what he does. Okay, how about more of that, that? those two at the end of the game when defense seems to matter a little bit more? Uh, I don't think so because I don't think uh, – you know, we'll see. Um, Quinn's a master, and I'll have to get um, – I'm scarred by how many times I watched Donovan Mitchell come off a pick and roll and run right into Derek Favors' man in the opening moments of games two years ago. I mean, Donovan would roll, come off that pick and roll, and Donovan's way better at it now, and so maybe it's going to not be a problem. And Mike Conley's a better shooter than Ricky Rubio, so maybe somebody else has to space. And if 
Boyan's on the floor. He's as good a shooter as Joe, if not better. So maybe maybe that'll it'll lessen it a little bit. Um, but it it just I have a, such a vivid memory of Donovan coming off pick and rolls and running into Derek Favors' man who's standing in the middle of the paint while Favors is in the corner, and no one cares that Favors is in the corner. Um, and the numbers show that that uh, it, Dennis is a hundred percent right. It was positive because the defense was unbelievable. Um, and so it better, you know, I, the defense with Faves and Rudy on the floor together better be just as unbelievable if it's going to work. Yeah, I'm talking about in a situation where you're trying to close out and you're not coming from behind. Yeah, you still got to score. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, frankly, if you're ahead and you score, it's better. It's easier. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to right, find like some both, minutes like you're for up, those guys. You're, you're up four. You're up. I got your concept is like we're up four of the minute and a half. We're just going to stop you and not let you score again. You know, it's, if Bogey hits a three, it's over. Also. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I, I understand that. Uh, I'm just. I haven't ever thought about what I haven't thought about is interesting is and I haven't played around with what it would look like against other teams is whether or not somehow um, favors comes off the bench comes in for Rudy at about the four-minute mark and um, and suddenly Rudy and Derek match for a few minutes in the second quarter against kind of a pseudo first team, pseudo second team of the other team. I, I, haven't, I haven't looked at that. Like, you know, if that's Denver, Jokic is back out on the floor and they're four this year. Maybe they're playing Jermichael Green in those minutes then. And, like, that works really, really well. If it's the Lakers and it's – and it's Marcus Soule and Anthony Davis, which is their starting lineup, but it's probably back out. Or, um, you know, uh, it's Montrez Harrell and Anthony Davis. Maybe it, maybe it works just fine. Um, if it's the Clippers and it's – sorry, sorry, Gasol's on the Clippers. If it's – no, wait, Gasol's on the Lakers. Uh, yeah. If it's Ibaka and, you know, yeah, I don't know how it works on the Clippers because Kawhi's probably – Paul George is probably sliding down to the four at that moment, so that gets a little tough. Or if it's Marcus Morris, um, then maybe that's fine. If it's Marcus Morris and, and Ibaka, then maybe you, you – know, they can really spread the floor. That gets tough, but maybe that's how you're doing it. So there are a bunch of times where, you know, there are these – these other teams are not small. Like, the game's not gone small. The game's gone skilled. The only difficulty about Rudy and – Derek together is not that there is is that they neither of them can shoot and neither of them are really good passers yet. Now they're both improved passers, and maybe they'll be. And neither of them are really dribblers. So you're just your skill is limited. Your size is awesome. We got to go, but I wanted to see if you saw that Paul George stuff on Doc Rivers and the Clippers. Man, I thought he really hammered him. What bull crap? <laughs> because I mean, what I mean, I'd love to really like. Holy smokes. You know why? Because it's not true. <laughs> like, what a cop-out. Like, and I get it. Hey, if you're going to be the greatest in the world, and that's what these guys are, it's, it's pretty rare that you have self-blame. And so it's a lot easier to believe that you're still the greatest in the world while blaming someone else. But feel free to mix in an ounce of accuracy with your comments. Right? He used me like Ray Allen. What the hell are you talking about? You ran more pick and rolls last year for the Clippers than any other year in your entire career. Got like, it. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I think he ran like 27% of his plays on pick and roll. Like, it just wasn't true. Like, that's, 
that's pretty audacious, by the way. And, like, I wonder what's in that mind. Like, does he – he obviously believes that, right? So he he's clearly got no self-blame in the fact that he's just bombed, like, six straight playoff series. There you go. That's what I wanted. Thank you. You delivered. You're the new mailman. I appreciate it. All right, PK, you're the best. Stay good. Stay safe. <laughs>